Hello and welcome to the weekend update on Friday the 3rd of February 2023. I'm your host Chris Gallagher as we look ahead to a big weekend for Celtic as it is every weekend. Nine points clear at the top of the Scottish Premiership. I'm joined this week by Christian Wolf. Hello Christian, how are you? Hello Christopher, I'm well. We've completed January. That's always a big tick in, in my box, and it's just all uphill from here until September. Then it starts going downhill. Uh, did you do any sort of New Year's resolutions, dry January, any of that stuff? Uh, absolutely no. No. <laughs> Good. I, I, <laughs> no, no months uh, will be dry. I, yes, I have a plan of making incremental improvements to my body generally, right? Um, Positive. Not getting that far, yeah. But I've, I've, I know, I realised can't make a wholesale wholesale change, Christopher. You have to, you have to add it into your routine, and then like step step by step. So I'm, I'm going to take that first step any day now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, any day now. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, from I think from like October till just December, I had a personal trainer and I was drinking a lot less and I lost some weight and I was feeling good. Nice. January has been the opposite of that. I have never indulged more in my life, and I tell you something, it's been terrific. Um, but yeah, it's good to it's good to add incremental changes to your lifestyle to improve your health. Um, but also have a nice time as well. Uh, how are you, Christian? What's been happening? Anything exciting? It's just a bit of illness oh, in the house. I, at one point, I've been the only one not on antibiotics. Oh God! Different sorts of infection in different body parts for everybody else, really. And I think about it, yeah. Um, but no, I've, so I've kind of um, a couple of days of work just to look after a wee man and, and stuff like that. But no, other than that, I think everybody's like on demand. We have the first kid's birthday party of the year Oof. tomorrow. Brilliant. So, so so that'll be a big one. Um, hopefully I don't have to go. I don't know yet. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, you know, other than that, um, enjoying the football. You know, get, getting to the business end, and that's that's my idea. It's, it's, please stop me from talking. I, I don't know. I don't know. About yeah, let me let me jump in. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, do you know before we even start, there's been a lot of talk this week about um, kind of the money spent in England, and essentially uh, the English Premier League almost sits like a different sport. Uh, and I read an article today, and it was about essentially how you know it was kind of aimed at the top five leagues, uh, and sorry, the other four leagues in the the top five league kind of structure, and basically. There was a, a kind of focus on, I guess, trying to differentiate yourself from the English Premier League to try and kind of create your own sort of market. Um, it's obviously going to affect us. It does affect us and it will affect us. As soon as we have a player of any sort of quality that we found, we'll have to you know, be realistic and know that if they improve their squad and they stand out, they're probably going to be snapped up. Um, just the landscape of current modern football. We talk about it a lot. But it does seem to be getting kind of to the point where English teams are... Chelsea spending, what, like 500 million quid or whatever? It's getting to that point where you're, you are really starting to see a massive, massive difference even between them and the rest of the leagues. We should probably do a podcast on Yeah, Sounds good, just, yeah. Just the two of us. Um, yeah, definitely. does seem like we've entered into, slowly into a slightly new era where... There's still a prestige, you know, in in the other like three, four big leagues. Absolutely, but it is the gap 
it's getting bigger and that's one of the main drivers behind the Super League as well. Yeah. Right. Because it is it was clubs like you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, um, I guess to a lesser extent, PSG kind of you know, clubs that are not a bottomless pit of money, which PSG in, in a way is, saying, you know, the only way we're going to be able to compete is if we pool our money. But I've put the point now, whereas why would a big English club even bother? Because when there's such a concentration of wealth there and they're guaranteed to be among the best there, it will happen. I think the driver for this is essentially the TV deals. And you do... Uh, Every TV deal come around and we say, surely now there must be something must be falling out. And it just doesn't seem that there will be. So trying to think of Celtic in all this, in that if there is a continuation of so much money being added into the English league, I guess per definition, especially because Celtic is... So much of Celtic's income is one match day compared to TV deal, so they're not really affected. Celtic is like, like look at the French TV deal, for example, that collapsed. Yeah, Celtic wouldn't really be affected by that because the TV money is a pittance, really. So, so, and obviously, if if they have the talent, and the other business model is obviously selling players, and the other element, of, I was going to kind of touch upon this when you like questions around youth players, but. What Scotland, the the one thing that's maybe slightly hindering English team of just hoovering everything up is Brexit, essentially, because they're now only able to, you know, they need, the, the players they bring in need to fit a certain criteria. And it, it is quite strict in terms of the, so, so they need to be certainly certain level. And with the Champions League squads and what you need to do, you, you've seen... English teams starting to hoovering up, for example, Scottish talent as well, like really early doors to try and bring more of the youth players up as that to supplement all these superstars they're buying. They have to kind of, yeah. they can't buy it in, in the middle bracket that much anymore, especially younger players. So, that, so, and Celtic, because of the Scottish Brexit rules or the, the work permit rules in Scottish football is a bit different. Celtic and Scottish club could be an actually a way in for foreign players that don't have the required like eligibility to play to get a work permit in England, they can get it by going to Scotland for a couple of years because then suddenly you do the point. So th- there's elements of all this that kind of put Celtic position slightly different. But overall, if English teams getting taking all the wealth in one way from the four biggest league, in theory, Celtic should be getting closer to the four other leagues. Yeah. Right. And so it's, and then you go about, okay, can you market yourself specifically? Germany does this anyway. Like Germany have a German football, it's the sporters has a specific ethos, I guess, around it's not just about winning. You know, football is more than that. I think that's Scottish football could probably go a bit more and make something a bit more unique and a bit, I mean, so, so far off. But I think a, a league management and if clubs had a vision, you could market Scottish football really well. Like as an antidote to what's right next door, and I think you can really build on that. Whereas what you have now is just trying to do everything and just just 
worse. And, and the perfect recent example of that is, is VAR, right? Scotland, Scottish football could market itself as being a, a non-VAR league and you get that experience and you get everything around it, but instead you just try to implement something and just get worse than it actually is in the other league. So you don't have anything unique. You don't even have that thing that works a certain way in, in England. It just makes it even worse here. So I think there's a lot of opportunities there, but I'm confident that Scottish football is going to, or Celtic is going to take it. Nah, not really. Yeah, we'll, we'll do something. Uh, we'll do a podcast on that. So some, something I think would be good to do a deep dive on. Um, so yeah, we'll look out for that in the future. Uh, we've got a question from Ian. It was actually sent uh, for the weekly. Yesterday we didn't put out questions for the weekend update, but we also didn't have the opportunity to answer it yesterday. So uh, we'll take the chance now. Uh, so Ian asks, with Calmac notching up 400 appearances and being... Actually, he did... I should say that he highlighted in the email, he said... Let me just get it up. He said... Where is it? It is uh, just here. He said, if things are going too well... Uh, if the pod is getting too positive a vibe, uh, let me, let's me let just ask this question. Bring me on. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, so he asks, with Calmac notching up 400 appearances and being the best player in the league, let alone at Celtic... What should our level of concern be that there is no youth team player that even hints at being near his level or even in the most pessimistic assessment near the level of a Stephen Welsh? When do we legitimately start to worry if we haven't already? This is, again, this is kind of something that falls into the bracket of of conversations we've had overall. Um, But yeah, I mean, let's kind of talk talk through it a little bit more. You know, Callum McGregor, I think, is someone who... We talked about it on the week, uh, on the agenda on Monday. About I remember when McGregor wasn't even getting into the Rogers team. Um, he was just a bit of a bit part player. Um, he's really earned his stripes in a lot of ways, in a, in ways that maybe other players haven't had to. He's had to change and evolve. And I think Callum McGregor is such a unique player in so many different ways and so many different levels. Um, and I actually think that the idea that we could just produce another McGregor, I think, is a little bit naive. Uh, not just from an, from Ian's perspective, from all of our perspective. Um, what's your thoughts on it? Because sometimes, you know, if you've got a youth development and you produce, you know, five, six quality players over even a decade, it's not a, it's not the worst return. That's almost like one, one a season almost. And, you know, from where we are and the pressures around Celtic... It really means that Celtic either Celtic goes one of two ways. We just have to realise that we're not going to produce players like that all the time, or we have to change the expectations of players breaking into the first team, which would be difficult. Thoughts, Christian? I think first of all, I think there is talent being produced. I, in a way, I. I I'm not really that close to it, but I wouldn't sit here and worry that Celtic aren't able to spot really young talent to play or have good coaches or have the facilities for them. I think overall they do. But there is two things for me. First of all, as I talk, England will be hoovering up talent due to Brexit, right? So you do get, you know, we've talked a lot about this before, Ben Doak, Liam Morrison, going to Liverpool, going to Bayern Munich, right? So that is a more difficult thing to deal with. But another way, I go on it, but the pathway for these players have to be enshrined into the whole club. It has to be an ethos running around the whole club that 
our own players are a part of this club and they should be a, a significant part of the squad. So I, I think it's saying we can't see really anybody, you know, able to step up like a McGregor or even a Stephen Welsh. But Stephen Welsh was on his way out when they had to play him, right? And you know, we had to look at his time at Morton. wasn't great at all. He first came in, and you know, he's, he's still probably just a fourth choice centre back. But simply by having to play him, he's now part of the squad, and I think. It applies to, to Tony Ralston as well. Obviously, we did a thing on the review where we looked at the Champions League squad. And in the Champions League squad, you essentially just allowed 17 players who is not Scottish or haven't been trained by the club Celtic, right? So you got 17 spots, really. And club-trained players at the moment, you've got McGregor, but then you have James Forrest, who's not really part of you know the first 11 Discussion: Stephen Welsh, Tony Ralston, Michael Johnston. Right, that's who you really have. So that's. It, it comes back to me that you, you will have to make youth a part of your uh, club in, in a large, much greater degree because you have to have at least four club trained player in a squad of twenty five for the Champions League, and you have to have or country trained. All country things, except well, you can have you need at least four club. You need eight overall. That's either club or country, but you need four of them has to be a club. So if you have a twenty-five man Champions League squad, and we're not even talking about players under the like really young players, like eighteen, nineteen, who's been at Celtic, and you can put them on the B list. This is an actual squad. If you want twenty-five players in an actual squad, eight of them have to be Scottish, and four of them have to be um, club trained. So it, it's not even a choice. Like you, you cannot just buy twenty five quote unquote foreign players, and, and you have to have that youth, and you have to have both a focus on your own. And if that's not producing producing eight players, you can have in that squad overall. You have to be able to bring in Scottish talent to do that, and and that you know that comes back to how do the club do they start start spending more money on Scottish talents when they're seventeen, eighteen, like English clubs are doing. Like, should we be going and picking up players from Aberdeen, Hearts, Hibs, St. Mirren, when they are 14, 15, 16, maybe have to pay half a million? You know, so that's... The, oh, but for me, it comes back to... We talk about clubs, you know, you're good at producing on youth. I still think there's slight denial that Celtic have to do short-termism every year to win the league, that you have to bring in experienced players and you can't give squad minutes to, to certain youth players that you don't quite know if to step up but you just have to do it right and I, I think you can absolutely do both so we've talked a lot about this season about the system is working really well but there's a couple of parts you know are they quite good fit for the system be that Gigi be Tony Ralston be Abada you know they bring something but they're not quite a good fit but all that tells me is like when your system is good enough as it is now you can bring a youth player in yeah right you can bring a 17 year old right back in right now to that Celtic team, say against Livingston at home. And chances are you'll be absolutely absolute fine but you give him youth time. But it has to be driven throughout the club. It's not Ash Postacoglu's job to do that. Yeah. If you give Ash Postacoglu's the reign to do whatever he wants in terms of the squad and who he plays, of course it's not going to prioritise giving minutes to say... Rudy Vata. Yeah, or Rudy, James Rudy Forrest. Rocco Vata, sorry. 
Yeah, no, so it's those kind of things. So, but if you had principles of a smaller squad, and you have to, if you aligned it with the Champions League requirements, that since Celtic, say if Ange had to operate with a twenty-five man squad, and they said four of them have to be club train, four of them have to be Scottish, and you can have seventeen others. If you ran your club like that, and if you hired managers on that basis, I think the youth would eventually just. It, it will come true eventually, but it, the club is not willing to to take that step or, or take that leap of faith. Really. I, I, yeah, I, I get that, and I think it's yeah. I just also think though that if the player was good enough, Ange would have brought them in. I think. But then Ben Doke is probably good enough. Rockawata is probably good enough. But they're good enough to get the minutes. But even even how are they going to get good enough at Celtic? Right, this this is the dilemma. How are you going to know they're good enough? How are they going to give the time to be good? They have to get minutes. Yeah, no, like that's the yeah. only way you get minutes. And you can say if you're good enough, you play. But I don't really accept that. That there has to be a place for the squad, and it has to be almost well, a, well, the, um, a principle that like you need to see if you, you can't have a squad that is so bloated with players who are not eligible for for the Champions League squad. No, like, like this whole thing is again. This is just a kind of micro discussion we're having because it'd be good to kind of talk about this further. But like, for example, and we'll, we'll move on. But like, for example, when Greg Taylor was out in Bernabeu, you know, was struggling a little bit, or when we had to play Rio Hatati as a fullback, if there was someone in the youth that had the potential to potentially step up, you know, would Ange have played them? Maybe I'm just not. I'm not certain that we are. No, well. I've... But it shouldn't, I was going to say it shouldn't be Ange. Of course, no, no, it's yeah. Ange's decision of who you place. But if Ange can bring in, uh, you know, experienced left back, he, he would because it's not, it shouldn't be his remit. And that's why you don't have the manager in charge of these things. <laughs> you know, it's as easy as that. But you have, for example, you do have Adam Montgomery. Like people maybe scoff at that and said, you know, he's not, you know, good enough for, for Celtic. But I would have no issues with having Adam Montgomery as a backup for, for Greg Taylor. For example, I, I think he's of a required quality that he can go in and he can become better. But you know, most fans wouldn't want Adam Montgomery because they want someone who's more experienced or who, who seems to be a lot better. And, and I like Bernabeu and I think he's got potential. But do do we really think he's a level above Adam Montgomery from what we saw of Adam Montgomery last year? I don't know if I think he is. So, but that, you can replicate that throughout the you know the team and in different kind of positions as well. I mean, it, Boston Lowell and Dane Murray. Do you bring in Aloni like Moritz Jens instead of them, or do you just sink or swim with them? Right, and, and that's the, that's the choice the club has to take at some point. Otherwise, you you won't produce to you in in the same level. You you can get lucky, you get a McGregor or a Tini. But I've talked about Tierney T- T- before. Nobody knew who he was good enough. Yeah, well, well yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's just uh yeah, it's it's not an easy answer. I think is the point. Uh, but we'll definitely come back to it, and uh, we'll yeah, we'll have an idea. Uh, got some news. Uh, not a lot of news at the moment, but uh, Celtic midfielder Rio Hatati says, "I have now faced my feelings about the World Cup in Qatar after missing out in the Japan squad." Some quotes from the young man. Uh, on the day that the Japanese squad was announced, I was still in Scotland and I could not see it live. Prior to that, I thought I wouldn't be selected because I did not get a chance to participate in the last game before this announcement. However, 
when the members were announced and my name wasn't there, I didn't think as expected. It was frustrating. And when I returned to Japan after Celtic gave me time off, I didn't watch our group games live. I did that to rest my body as I had been playing a lot since July. But now that I've sorted out my feelings looking back, I think that the reason I was tired was only half of it. The other half was frustration. And I couldn't honestly watch the games. As time passed, I was able to sort out my feelings and I, I, I watched the games. Uh, some really good quotes here, some interesting quotes. I saw that my former Kawasaki teammate, uh, Kuro Matoma, show his characteristics. The person I respected even more was uh, Tanaguchi, who prepared himself in the best possible way. He's a person who didn't cut corners on post-match recovery and always did what was supposed to be of him. It's easy to say that's easy, but it's never easy to do the obvious things, including preparation and care. Uh, some really good quotes here, some really good chat. He seems like a really eloquent young man. He seems like a young man who has a lot of determination. He seems hungry for success um, and on t- on top of his incredible technical ability and his ability to kind of find space and just perform really well. Um, I like to see these retrospective kind of discussions about players, where they were, where they are now, how they got there. I like players coming out speaking kind of openly and honestly. And I'm sure he'd probably get some heat for saying I didn't watch the games, you know, and stuff like that. But it's good to see kind of open and honest discussion from from young, articulate footballers. Yeah, we've really had, I think that's been a really uh, interesting part of her tactic because he used to have that a blog that's in right. Japan as well. When he talked a lot, he's been talking a lot, you know, on the Japanese TV shows. I think it's everything you want to hear in terms of, you know, there's always a human side to players that are easy to forget. In terms of the, the mental aspect of it, that's just dealing with disappointments. But, but how you use it, but just so that you can easily say it's, it's it's your job, so you should do everything you can. But it is, it, it must be difficult to be able to do the right things again and again, and and keep, I guess, incremental performances uh, of your own. So uh, the article, the whole article is really interesting because he's talking about he, he went to Ange. And, and talked about, you know, what can you improve on? And you know, so I just you know, said it. It seems like he's working a lot with like the video analysts in terms of, of showing that as well. So that's just that's what you want from players. You, you want, okay, they, I think you always need to have that level of a bob of, okay, you go to training, you do everything the coaches want you to do, but they have to be kind of still, even at, you know, when you are a professional football, that inner desire to just improve. To learn more, to to be it on the preparation side, physically, be it if you're interested in an analysis side, you know what can you learn up, what can you think through the games and so on, and and that's the kind of culture that you want to create within the club. And I think that's when we talk about the, the role of a manager, but well, I guess the wider club, the manager as well, is is to foster that approach. And to be curious and, and to not let standards slip and, and to kind of push your players to always want to improve in different areas. And I think that Hatate is, you know, it, yes, he, he was physically really tired at the end of the last season, but he, for me, he was still putting really good performances throughout that. But this season, he's been, he's been on another level, I think, in terms of, and he's, he's still, and there's aspects of his games that are, you know, he's, he does still lose the ball quite. I bet he's not a safe player, but he is also being a lot more consistent in all the good things he's doing. He's, he's keep doing it. He is, he is improving in front of our eyes. And I think he's, he's such a special player because he's such a complete 
midfielder, a modern midfielder in, in so many ways, because I don't think there's one thing he doesn't really have. And it's, it's yeah, it's, you know, and he's, I think he realizes, but that's not enough. He, he needs to like contribute a bit more in the final third as Anches is getting into those more areas as well. But it, to have him in a, a team and play with him must be an absolute dream because of what he can do and what he does for the team. So, you know, I, I think, you know, together with, Greg Taylor, I think they are the two standouts this season. I, I think there's, and I don't think it's a coincidence that there's such an amazing fit for the system as well, specifically here. Um, but Hatate, yeah, you talked about who's Celtic's best player, and you, you probably will assume I can't agree Kyogo Furuhashi, but honestly, I, I think Rio Hatate is right up there in terms of just how talented he is. Uh, the thing I would say that he maybe, obviously, I'd like to see more, I'd like to see more goals. Um, I think I don't he, like goals. Yeah. I know, I know, you're not a big goal guy. Uh, but well, if I mean, he gets to the chances more, that's good. I was looking at uh, just in a comparison, uh, 2003-2004 season, uh, and just looking at like some, you know, Larson get 41, Sutton get 28, Alan Thompson get 13. Um, I'd like my midfielders to certainly in that position that Hitati's in to score a few more goals. Obviously, we've not had, we've not had any from, from Matt O'Reilly. He's contributed in other ways and stuff. But, um, yeah, just a, a little bit, because we were talking about it yesterday on the weekly about, you know, I, I don't think it's good to have one player scoring all your goals, right? Obviously, if you've got one guy, if it's Kyogo scoring all the goals and then Kyogo comes out of the team, that's a gap that needs to be filled. I like my goals to be spread out. And that's just something... You know, last season we had Abada hit 15, we had Turnbull hit 13, and, you know, like, just lots of goals, all at, Gigi scored 13. Um, This season it's kind of less, it's Kyogo, Abada, and then, obviously, a bit of a drop-off, but, yeah, just more goals from the midfield is what I'd be looking for, from, just from a purely fan perspective, just because I like seeing midfielders yeah. score goals, you know? I mean, I, mean, I think it's, it's a case of... Yeah, you, you want your players to get into positions. Like um, um, a lot of players, you might you want to be able to create chances in a lot of, of different ways. But it is interesting, you know, you had the, the winger discussion on the weekly yesterday, and there was a couple of questions on it, you know, who's best on left, who's best on the right, and you're told, do we need more goals from, you know, the midfielders? But it's all in a context of, we'll get to this later, Celtic scoring an incredible amount of goals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, as well. You know, so, so that's... He, he, well, you can go individual parts and say, oh, that might be better if you do that. The whole system is, is working incredibly well in, in terms of who's getting the goals and uh, you know who's getting to all the chances and so on. And it is it is very much based on you know the strikers and the wingers scoring goals in this team. I think it is a, a large product of the way Ange wants to create chances. You know, he wants the ball, you know, play behind the defensive line, crosses in, back post, and do that. And he doesn't want a lot of shots from outside. He doesn't want, you know, relying on midfielders maybe, okay, they arrive in the box, but bursting past it and hitting it from, from you know, longer areas. He doesn't want to rely too much on set pieces, even though they're handy. He doesn't want to rely too much on free kick goals and stuff like that. He wants to create big opportunities. Celtic's average chance quality was high last year, it's gone up again. Yeah. And I think that as a consequence of that, your forward players just will get into those positions more and, and will score more goals. It might just be as simple as that, but 
but he's, he's, he's got five goals this season. Hatate in all competitions. So yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, we're in January and Jota's got nine. Dyson's on great form. He's got eight. So yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm in no way complaining. Uh, but I'm also. I just love goal scoring midfielders. Just, just, I just love them. Um, but yeah, I mean, Hatate, I just think is outrageously good, and I, and I, I like that idea that what you said there about you, we can literally see him growing and developing in front of our eyes. That's so true, and it's really it makes you feel so connected to the player. I think because you can see, you know, where they started and hopefully where they'll end up. And yeah, I know he is. Though, he is. I was almost going to say he's adorable, but in, in, in a non-patronizing way, I, I, I think he is. You know, it's, it's, it's probably, it's not maybe no players in the Celtic team I, I enjoy and, and like the more because he's just infectious in, in terms of the way he plays, but also the, the way he is and his, his enthusiasm and his, his willingness for, for everything. Um, and just, you know, he's, you should go and read that you know article because he talks about how he's learning English on the way to to, to training every day. He's taking lessons. He's listening to his favorite music to remind himself and stuff like that. He's just, he's just, he's a great guy. Just, he's just a wee babe. Um, Greg Taylor puts Celtic's rivals on red alert. Talk about wee babes. Yes, as defender talking about wee babes. Yeah, as defender says, new signings will level up Angeville. Um He had just some interesting quotes from Greg Taylor uh, talking about the new arrivals. They settled really well. You see O when he came on, he's a handful, he's young and he's eager and he's going to bring something to the party. Tomo and Ali have settled in straight away. Yuki, they've all contributed already at an early stage and I'm sure that will continue as the season goes on. The manager has a clear philosophy so it's easier for the boys to come in because we've a set way of playing. We know they'll give 100%. The mentality of the new guys is outstanding and hopefully they'll be the case uh, with any other new guys coming through the door. I'm sure they will have that too. They've settled well. But we've lost boys who've done real well for us, and it's important to be grateful for their contribution. But the new lads will be major contributors as the season goes on. Um, Callum McGregor was talking about kind of leaders in the changing room, and he mentioned you know Greg Taylor, and he mentioned a few other names. Um, this Celtic squad really seems like a squad of players with everyone pulling in the right direction, and it's I, I just marvel at how how Ange kind of spinning lots of plates you know like making sure everyone gets enough time on the pitch make sure everyone gets the the kind of relative uh opportunities but also if you don't we you're up you're up but still keeping that squad mentality it's it's really really interesting and it's a it's a skill i think is quite underrated yeah and it's but it's a mentality he's fostered not by being anybody's pal like at all, does he? You know, so it's, it's it's not like he's trying to, you know, so manage maybe we'll do like a, a, a chummy atmosphere, right? And then you know, because he's, he's so straightforward and he's, he's he's very clear, and I think you know, it's tough but fair. I think that what you get with Ange, and he's he is. I don't think there's any filters there, and you knew you know, you have to deliver. And keep improving. I think you also know that Ange has absolutely no favorites, right? And I think you, what you get from him being almost ruthless, but also completely fair. Like he doesn't see names, he doesn't see pals, he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't care if you've a uh, star signing that you know is a big thing for the club, he doesn't care. And so I think if, if you have that element of, I, 
you know, somebody is completely fair, but obviously knows his stuff so well, there's an inherent trust that you'll be treated fairly if you do well. And that also you, you, you're trying to do something that will work on, on the pitch. And then obviously I think the, the staff around that, that, that contribute to that. Maybe it's just a good mix of, of personalities. You, know, you never underestimate that alchemy of, of different personalities just in a dressing room as well. Because we, you know, he's always said, you know, Scott Brown was a looming figure in that that place, and he drove standards. And Cal McGregor was going to be so so different, but you know, he's Cal McGregor for this action for this team. He looks like the absolutely perfect captain, and 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 the way he does it. So, and then with the new players, what you do have, I guess, is especially for Eva for Abelgore, essentially Kobayashi for Jens, and oh, for, for Gigi, what you do have as well, though, is. On paper, you look at all of them and say, compared to the players that are going out, it's a much better fit for Ange's vision and his system. And they have, and that be what they can do, but also the intensity and, and, and so on. So, okay, you, you might miss Gigi's effectiveness for coming on. You know, Jens was, you know, it was a solid option, but these other players can take it a step up. I think that's really important in terms of that system fit that you do have players now that if, Starfoot or CCB's out, Kobay actually can come in and bring something different, whereas Jens couldn't really do that. No. And if, if McGregor is out, Ivata might be able to come in and, and do something similar, whereas Abigail couldn't do that. And and all for Gigi, like if Kyogo went out now, you put Gigi on and get a new dimension, but you don't get like a lot of the stuff Kyogo wouldn't do. So with all you do that. So I think that, that would help everybody be spawned on. But also the fact that, you know, you got two players who haven't played much lately, Haxa Banish and O'Reilly, who are most among the most talented players in the squad as well. So if you bring them to the boil at different points, yeah, it's, it's it's a really good recipe, isn't it? Um and then the only like only a part of like you talk, you talked about it on week as well, like Alistair Johnston for for, for Juranovic, you know, okay, he's not Juranovic's level. Not many people are. He might get some time, need some time to get up to speed, but Celtic don't really need him to be fully up to speed this season in the way it is. He he can have the six months to then develop and be ready for, for next season because this team and this system is so good that even even if you have you know parts like that that you know it's not quite up to speed with the system yet, it's fine because the system overall is is so good. Um, seeing regard to O, um, I, I mentioned on the weekly yesterday about how he just seemed to be dropping quite deep at points, uh, trying to link up play. Um, very excited. I think we're all very excited. Is, is, is That dimension that we talked about, when people look at Giacomacchus, they look at him and they think, right, he's a big man, he'll have his back to goal, he'll link up play, he'll bring people into the game, you know, round the corner and all that, and that really wasn't his game. Is that maybe more O's game? Yeah, did you try to do all those things? Um, but I, th- I think think with O, I think I think it's just yeah. I mean, he's got the physical attributes, but you, you look at where he came from. He came from a, a mid-table Korean side where he had played usually played as, as a striker in a, in a more four-four-two. So he had to do a lot of work. Like he, 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 you know, he had to do a lot of work in terms of defending and in terms of being involved further down the pitch to get the team up. So, and he's you know. I think he's used to that movement and intensity, and able to do that. I think I think he's he's, he's, he's very exciting. I think he just it just all needs to be channeled, 
correctly, which I'm sure Ange will do because he's got that intensity. He's got that, you know, almost excited poppiness um, <laughs> about him, which is will probably sometimes lead to, you know, maybe doing things too fast, be, being trying to do a bit too much, but that's, that's fine. You want that intensity to, to mold and channel into something. So, and you don't need them to be him the finished product yet either. You need maybe 18 months time you want that, but he's got all the attributes and it seems like the, the motivation to be able to, to achieve that, say within 18 months. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to kind of focus and look ahead to the St. Johnston game, but before we do, I think a relevant clip to play, uh, we had our good friend Colin Kearney go to the press conference on a Tuesday, um, and he asked a question of Ange regarding the kind of low block that we've came up against. Uh, the press conference in full is available on your RSS feed, it's on the app and it's on the website if you want to have a listen to it in more detail. But here's the clip that uh, we'll play, just Colin asking Ange about the low block that we come up against. Just this season, there seems to be uh, a clear trend, at least domestically, of our opponents setting up in a low block with three centre-backs, three central midfielders, two strikers, just kind of crowding out the middle of the park, trying to push us wide. Uh, You've always emphasised that you want the team to play your type of football regardless of the opposition, but within that, have you and the team had to made some adjustments to overcome what seems to be an increasingly similar way to set up against us? Yeah, we haven't made adjustments, but I think the nature, like I said again before, the the nature of the game sort of directs you to to find solutions that the opposition, um, you know, will give you. Um, The reality is that irrespective of how low a block it is or the numbers, um, at some point there's always going to be space out there if you're moving the ball and you're moving yourself. And, And for us, you know... If that space is out wide, we'll attack out wide. If it's more central, we'll go through central areas. I think this year, we've, you know, the variety of our goals has certainly been different to last year. And that's not because of us sort of directing the guys to do certain things. It's just the natural evolution of our game that, um, you know, depending on where, you know, where the opposition is vulnerable, we, we, we just need to be alert and ready to attack those areas. And uh, I think the reason we're, we're scoring so many goals this year is because, like I said, there's there's multiple contributors from different areas, um, whether that's midfield areas, whether that's wide areas, whether that's, you know, through the central area. Um, you know, we, we're, I think we're a threat um, equally wherever we get that space. So it's just the evolution of the team and the team will continue to evolve. Um, you know, I know you said that, you know, I don't change my style of play, but it's not also about standing in the same spot you know the way we play our football there's always a natural evolution to the way the team develops and that depends on you know the players growth um, the better understanding the opposition uh, tactics all those kind of things help the team evolve in its process but there are certain core principles and and fundamentals that are are always there and and you know when the lads stick to that you know the fluency and the and the frequency of where we attack opposition teams um is just dependent on on the areas where we think they're vulnerable. Core principles and core fundamentals, um, and then everything else just evolves around that. Um, and it's you know this is obviously we mentioned this last couple of days, but the guy Ange Postecoglou at press conferences, he just wants to be engaged. And you know uh, we we can we're not going to go over old press conference stuff, but engage him and he'll give you an interesting answer. Um, what was your kind of thoughts? What was your kind of take on that? Because obviously we've got coming up against St. Johnston in Perth uh, on Sunday. Um, yeah, thoughts, Christian? Yeah, I think we wanted to ask that because I think it's something we have seen 
this season in terms of all the teams have had played Celtic and Ange's system for, for a season now. And so many of them recently have just settled on that kind of like a 5 3 2. Yeah. And they've done it to, to varying degrees. It's only really Motherwell, really, the reason that apart from each is that they didn't do that. So they all, <laughs> I don't know how much it has to do with the Seth Mayron actually got a win against Celtic in that formation, but it seems to me that the approach to Ansh's system from the opposition is a lot more uniform. And they've had a look at that and say, yeah, that's probably our best way. And we've just got a little, discussed it a little bit more detail the review Tuesday, but I think in, in yeah, so I think that's a part of the reason why in parts of games in this season you kind of gone, ah, it's not quite clicking, isn't it? Overall, you seem like ah, it hasn't quite, you know, hasn't not felt, you know, the same. I don't know in you know chance creation and stuff like that, like like last season. But I think it has a lot to do with the teams are setting up in a certain way, and it's effective, I think, for parts of the game. But Celtic just keep going. And there's still, as Ange says, the core principles are there and they just keep doing it. I think the players this season is better individually as well, even within that. So I think it's just overwhelming. In the end, it's overwhelming for the opposition. So whereas, you know, Dundee United apart, maybe there hasn't been like a complete blowout and there, that kind of 5-3-2 has, has worked to a degree in parts of the games. One, something still too overwhelming for the opposition, what Ange said. But two, like, I think teams are play, putting so much into that and it requires so much of them. They're not able to attack. And I think, this, you know, Graham asked me on the review, well, why is Celtics not conceding in the way? I think because they're so good in attack. Although their attacking play is so good, so the opposition has to set up in such a way and it takes so much out of them. You expect so much running from the midfield tree and the strikers that, see, when they get the ball, they're usually quite far down and they go... Ah. You know, and it's, it's, I think it's, it's just whereas some parts we go, ah, it's not quite sitting in all the game, and uh, all the parts of them is it is doing a job in terms of just overwhelming the opposition and nullifying any attacking threat against them. Uh, you know, I think it's some of the the kind of what, what he's saying, you know, when you know we worry about it. Well, I certainly worry about it because I'm a massive shape bag. But like you know, him talking about there's always space out there. You just move the ball, you move the players, yep. and whatever the space is, you'll find it, and eventually there's a natural evolution that means that you know, you, you, you'll know you find it. Essentially what yep. he's saying is just trust the process. But this is a manager who ultimately boils the game down to quite a, like a simple kind of philosophy, and I know that that's not what's happening on the training pitch, right? I totally get that. But sometimes you hear managers talk and they talk about they use a lot of jargon and it's quite you know uh, coaching tactical heavy which is fine press conferences obviously is very different but like it just makes it very very simple uh, and that, that's what I think that's what I really really like about him when he talks about tactics and stuff yeah what we know about like tactics meetings at Leningstown and how I do them is I think I think you're right it is core principles delivered very simply, you know, there's not. I think the work and the thought process behind it has, is 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 complex or or, or well researched. You know, was talking about, you know, he's been coaching for so many years, and you know, what I liked in this other answer to the comments is like football is always evolving. So what I've taken 
you know, I've I've had to change with football because the way opposition set up against you evolves. So you obviously have so that's why I say, you know, he's he hasn't played three at the back or two strikers with Celtic. Um, but he's done it in the past. He might do it in the future, but he's so he's always evolving. So I think the work he's not stuck in an era, Ange, and he, he's I think yeah. he really, really thinks about these things. But I also think he has the, that golden combination that to essentially teach players, give them messages. It has to be simple. So your meetings, tactics, principles are short, clear, and you do these things. And then you can maybe layer it up if you know a little bit like that. But I think that's the, that's the key. Very thought out, well researched, thought through, tactical ideas delivered in a very you know simple and clear way to players. Because that's the only way it's, it's, you're really going to get to transmit those ideas onto the pitch. And that's, it obviously seems we're working. You know, what I think it's quite interesting. Like someone like um, like one of my genuine football and idols, Paul Lambert, right? On the pitch, you know, Champions League winner, played at an incredibly high level, internationalist. As a manager, when he became a manager, he was quite, had all these ideas that was quite ahead of the curve. But then the kind of football changed and evolved. And Paul Lambert now kind of looks like a, in adverted commas, like a bit of an old school manager, even though he's not actually, you know, it's only been a decade or whatever, or just under that, or just over that, sorry. I wonder if there's an idea that because of Ange Postecoglou's background in football, regarding you know he didn't play, didn't play in Europe, didn't play in Europe, didn't have that sort of I don't want to use the word toxic, but like sort of. I think he, he seems like a guy. Wenger was very similar as well, um, just very ahead of the curve and always trying to learn and never kind of sitting down and saying, "I worked under this manager and he did it this way, so if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me." Sort of thing. I wonder if because there's a sort of divorcing of his playing career from his managerial career that kind of helps him out do you know what I mean I think you know you you can have really good managers that have had a good career in football but I think as you say they need to be able to detach themselves from what they did yeah what they knew on the pitch because I think you get managers falling into that trap last but it's like well it wasn't like this when I was a player or I did this I was like well it's you know Five years in football, that's a really long time, like tactically. And you do, I think Ash Postacoli, in a way, he's, he's had to be smart because he's never going to be given anything free. Yeah. Um, but I think you need to have a certain personality as well where you, you're open to, to like change yourself and be able to do that. Maybe it helps that Ash has had a lot of different assistants and it's not, maybe that is part of it that. You know, you bring in new ideas and you, you listen yeah. to that and you, you adapt to it. But it's everything you want from a manager because it's, it is, I mean, I think it's very easy as a football manager to just get stuck and you can be at the absolute power of your game like Jose Mourinho. How quickly did Jose Mourinho, it's not like he's fallen, fall down, but it seems he suddenly seemed like the top of the game tactically and everything. And suddenly he was like a bit passe. Yeah, yeah. I think that happens quicker than you, you think. Well, someone like, I think Guardiola is, skin has his principles, but he's always been involving. And that he's always been willing to, to do that. So I think if you want to be a top as a manager for many years, you have to evolve yourself because football is going to change. Exactly. Um, Let's move on to the game on Sunday. St. Johnston uh, in Perth, Sunday, 12 p.m. kickoff. Uh, just, I, I know I said this on the weekly, but I'll just kind of update it again. The, the last seven games, they've won one game and they've lost the other six. 
and three of those games came at home. What are you expecting from St Johnston? Well, it's maybe start. I am like very quickly on, on the stats. We don't have to go through them too much, but they are like eighth in in, in the league. I think the underlying numbers roughly puts them around there as well. But within that, very poor offensively, you know, towards the bottom of, of a lot of the offensive stats. Um, but they're eighth because of, you know, defensively, really, you know, it is, you know, XG conceded just their, their fifth best, you know, average chance quality against fourth. And uh, so on. they give up a bit of territory. But it's, it's a team that doesn't have too much offensively, but they are where they are because of you know, the defensive work. And it's interesting that we just had that discussion about facing low team blocks because this is one of the things I'd be really interesting to to see here because they played St. Johnston obviously played a, a 3-5 a 5-3-2 versus Celtic in October. They played the same way against Rangers in November when, when they won 2-1. They played the five three two against Celtic in December at Celtic Park, but then last week at Ibrox, they played a four two three one with a back four, and I was like, okay, that's interesting. But then against Motherwell again on Wednesday, they went back to five three more three five two. So I was actually speaking to um, like the St Johnston uh, fan analysis camp on, on Twitter a bit, at least in terms of what you thought. You would see. Would you? Would you actually going to go with a four? Are we finally, Christopher, going to face back four again <laughs> in the league and not just that five-three-two? And he said that Davidson had been quite pleased with how that went against Rangers, but obviously then you have, you know, Rangers is a different, you know, <laughs> stating the obvious. They're the two best teams in Scotland, but they are a different proposition to Celtic. So you saw this with Aberdeen as well. He went very high against um, Celtic, uh, against uh, Rangers at Ibrox, you know, with a back four, you know. And then the next game in, with Pateldre, like the, the lowest block we've seen. So Livingston was the same. They went to Ibrox with, with a back four, got, you know, should have won, got a draw. Next, very next game at Celtic, back five. So St. Johnson might go with a back five as well, but it's, it's just interesting. So I kind of felt I had to uh, watch the Rangers game back if they played, and I also watched some of, of the Motherwell game. In. And I, I was expecting them to see um, against Rangers because, you know, saying oh, it was working quite well, you know, those two were working quite well, but I think they were very good against Rangers. To honestly, I think Rangers should have tore them apart more because they, they were... I, I just... The funny thing, and going through my notes... You know, for the last game at St. Johnston as well, they are a lot, they are quite aggressive. And I remember like Davidson's teams were, were like this, but you know, even you know, we played them on the Lennon in that season and so on. You know, they do like to press quite high and to try and stop opposition to come out. And they try that against in, in both the games against Rangers. But especially on the Ibrox, they were giving up a lot of space. I think, you know, because they had like a 2-4-4 four, four essentially, it, you know, when they're facing Rangers stack, you know, two strikers, four midfielders in the back four. And it was, it was very rigid. I thought they gave up a lot of space, you know, between those nine, between the strikers and midfielders and midfield defenders. Gave a lot of space up wide because obviously Rangers do these like really wide, the fullbacks really wide. 
but they kept the St. Justin kept the fullbacks quite narrow. So, and then Rangers could stretch them. There was these big spaces in the middle of the pitch when Rangers was building up. They, they could play passes like right through the center circle from one end of the center circle to the other. And there was nobody there. And there was like really stretching St. Johnston. So I was like throbbing my hands a bit because if you try to do this against Celtic, it is a lot more high risk than doing against Rangers. Because looking at that, if it's St. Johnston had lined up the same way they did against Rangers, if they do that against Celtic, I think they get tore apart. Like th- there is always an element there that if you get the pressing right on the day, you you can cause a bit of issues. But you had stuff like you know, um, especially when they play the back four against Rangers. See, when every time Morelos kind of dropped deep, one of the centre backs would follow him, and you kind of go, "That's okay if you have a back three because you go two under centre backs." But it happened two three times, ran out, and then suddenly there's this huge space between yeah. the centre backs and the fullback, and it's just. Things like that. So I've come back. I wasn't ever impressed with St. Justin's block against Rangers. So that's, so you do have that element. But then you go, are they going to go with the back five then instead? Or will Davison do that? So overall, I think that's quite positive. But then maybe switch, think about if they're going with a back five. You know, we've, we've had different elements of that back five playing against Celtic so far from these kind of teams. And if they're trying to replicate a little bit what they did against Motherwell, now, it's not easy finding many passages with play where Motherwell tried to play out from the back, right? <laughs> but we did find someone asked at St. John's analysis guy, and he says, like, they do this specific thing quite, quite often where they have, it's almost like a strikerless block. So you have your two strikers, but they go really wide. Right, so you have Stevie May um, was covering like the, the Motherwell right back on his left hand side, and Nicky Clark on the other side. You, you know, you have this; they almost like they they they'll cover the fullback, so you can't play out to the fullbacks. And then you have the three midfield. So there's is Hallberg, but also McPherson, who, who I quite like as a player, and, and Phillips as well. They're maybe pushing up in the middle. So, if, for example, against Celtic, you might have the two strike if they do this as well. You might have the two strikers almost blocking the passing lane out to Greg Taylor and, and Alistair Johnston and being quite wide and having this open space in the middle. So, But if you give the ball to Callum McGregor in the middle, Halberg will run up Pressure. and try to press you. And then McPherson and Phillips will also then press the Tati and if it's Moyo or Riley on the other side. And they'll be quite aggressive through the middle, right? But then... You know the the kind of wing backs will, will be quite high up as well. To, so it it'll be interesting to see if they try to do that again because it is well it might be a five three two. If they try to do something similar, it will be quite a different setup than say in a lot of the other teams like Livingston and, and Kilmarnock tried to do. But it's kind of the, that risk reward thing. If you know they are pressing us really high like that and we break that press, they're in trouble, right? <sighs> Honestly, I mean, some of the gaps, even that the, there's this one video clip where like Motherwell go long, but all, honestly, like the strikers are about in Motherwell's final third. The midfielders are about in the center circle. I said, like, Justin defenders like 20 yards from their own goals, like it's huge gaps. Because it's Motherwell, it's fine, but it, it is definitely a risk reward. So they might just sit low again, right? But if, if they try to do this, like there's huge spaces for, for, for Celtic to 
um, exploit. But there is also, they do have players like Halberg and, you know, McPherson and Phillips. That, that's players who can, like the St. Johnston guy was saying, that they allow St. Johnston to press higher because those two players specifically and Halberg, they can cover a lot of ground quickly. You know, they do have that engine. They do have that in, intensity. So, and then obviously if, if you put your two strikers more wide, Okay, you, you're opening up the center of the pitch, but you're kind of covering like the half spaces. So you're kind of covering that invertedness of, of Taylor and Johnston. And it's, it, it, you know, it, that kind of makes up for the midfield center being so aggressive. So there is a risk reward. So I've been, I've been just good if one of the teams kind of actually properly went for it against Celtic because, yeah, I think chances are Celtic can tear you apart. But it is. It's probably one of the ways you you can hurt Celtic as well, and not just have that intensity in the middle of the pitch and not like have any time on the ball. And essentially, it forces the play back to the centre backs, and you know, let them have the ball. I mean, the thing ultimately is, though, you know, Motherwell and Dundee United are both on twenty points, and they've played a game less than St Johnston, who are on twenty seven. Yeah, if you are someone like Callum Davidson and you've you've won one game in seven and you've lost the other six, you probably just go five at the back, eh? And then sit low. Yeah, you'd you'd, you'd think so. Try and but get, try I, and get a draw. Try and get a draw. Try and suffocate yeah. them to get a draw. I guess that's what you'll probably do. I think. So I read through my notes of like from the first away game, and while it was obviously Celtic just got away with it, but again in the first thirty minutes, especially. So Johnson, they did leave a lot of gaps in that game, and, and I think Celtic's probably unlucky not to get one or two more. And then that was that was the game with like the triple sub that really changed the momentum and, and stuff like that. And we had a few different players in different ways, but they did try that against Celtic. But yeah, it would be interesting if if he tries to replicate some of that, or even if he goes forward at the back, like he did against Rangers. Um, because it seemed like he was quite pleased with how that went. You know, I don't really agree because I think you could have, you know, Celtic, the Rangers probably should have done more against him. But yeah, it would be nice if he at least just went back four or at least a bit more aggressive than, or you're just going to face the same thing we've done in the last few months, it feels like. Yeah. And I think that, again, it all comes down to nice early goal, set the tone, fuck them up, you know? Yeah, that, that sounds like a plan. Sounds like any given Sunday. <laughs> yeah, but, that's yeah. I'm up let's throw a goal, fuck him up. Yeah, get a goal, fuck him up. <laughs> uh, let's say uh, so. That's the game on Sunday, and we'll have a reaction to that straight afterwards. Uh, and then Christian and Graham will kind of look over it with the, the review on Tuesday. Um, Celtic FC women take on Aberdeen at the Excelsior Stadium on Sunday, two thirty kickoff. Check that out. Claire, is that game on TV? Yes, it is. It's on TV, so that's that's good. Um, from a cynic point of view, we've got Peak Football returning tomorrow. Uh, obviously, fantastic from Graham and from uh, John Murphy as well. Shout out to Marek, who's the editor on that. Uh, and on Sunday, we have the reaction to the St. Johnston game. So there's plenty to come up over the weekend. And we are going to finish, Christian, with fact or fiction. Let that is me, a fact. I asked you two questions and you state if they are fact or fiction and why. Uh, okay, question number one. So I'd actually written Celtic will beat the most goals scored in a season record, 105. Currently on 74. Fact of fiction. However, it was pointed out the 105 goals scored was the 2003-2004 season. But in the 2016-17 season, we actually scored 106. 
But to then counter yeah. that, the season after that, uh, the the seventeen uh, eighteen season, the season we won the treble, Aberdeen came second. Celtic only scored seventy three goals. We've actually scored more than them this season in January than they did then. So seventy four goals currently in the in the Scottish Premiership. One hundred and six is the record. Celtic will break the that record this season. Fact or fiction? <laughs> I've taken a mathematical approach and this come up with facts. Um, so if Celtic keeps scoring at the same rate, drum roll, they'll get 117 goals. Oof, beautiful. Uh, technically 0.2 as well. Uh, they'll get to beat 105 or to, at least to get to 106 from now on in, they need to score 2.3 goals per game. So it's still, you know, um, two or three goals essentially. In every game so far, if we have a little look at the XG, XG, um, if Celtic keep the same rate of XG created that they've had so far through the last season, they'll end on 113 expected goals, right? To get 106 expected goals, they will need 2.5 XG per game, and they're doing three so far. So, even with a slight drop off in chance creation and goal scoring, I. Expect them to beat them, right? So, I mean, two point three goals per game is it's not easy, but I mean, it's looking good. So, I'm going to go fact. Fact, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, great stuff. Uh, here's uh, here's one, and, and I put this in, and it's a bit unfair, but I'll, I'll just ask it anyway. Uh, the new fantastic uh, O will get ten goals by the end of this season. Fact or fiction? It's a bit unfair on the young lad, but hey, it's all about standards and it's all about expectation. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's fiction because I don't think he'll he'll play enough. Essentially, so you know, Gigi Gigi had nine goals in all competition this season on almost twelve hundred minutes. Um, so it, you know, I don't think he'll get what's that? What's that thirteen full games about? So I just don't think he'll get the minutes unless he you know comes on and, and gets a couple of hat tricks and stuff like that. So. I think it's just not too much time. Yeah, five goals. I was, do you know, I was going to put five at first, but yeah, so five, you get five. It's, yeah, it's, we'll get five. You'll get, we'll get five. James Forrest got five this season already. He'll get five. It's perfect. Great stuff. So, uh, this has been the weekend update, Christian. As always, an absolute pleasure, sir. We could talk for hours, but we uh, we can't. So <laughs> it's been a pleasure, and I'll speak to you very soon, sir. Always a pleasure to be on. Uh, have a have a nice weekend, everybody. Have a nice weekend, everyone. From Christian Wolf, from myself, Chris Gallagher. This has been a weekend update, and we'll speak to you down the road. Mm-hmm.